Hey, welcome to First Church Live. So glad you guys are joining us for worship. My name is Chad, and I know we have families all over Northeast Oklahoma and beyond worshiping with us right now. So welcome. Glad you guys are with us. And if you haven't noticed already, I'm supporting today my Kentucky Wildcats. And there's a couple reasons why I'm doing that. Really, I don't need a reason. If you run into me on any given day of the week, I'm probably going to be wearing something Kentucky because I'm from there. My family, we love Oklahoma. This is where we believe God wants us to be, but we're still always going to cheer for our cats, the Kentucky Wildcats, because that's where we're from. But I am actually wearing this shirt for a couple different reasons today. First of all, we've been announcing all this past week that if you wear some type of baseball gear of your favorite team, your favorite baseball team, whether that's college or professional or high school or whatever, and if you will snap, take a picture of your family worshiping today, wearing all that gear, and if you will post it online, we will give you one of these First Church Live t-shirts. These are brand new. We've never given them out before. All you have to do is post it on social media, the picture of your family worshiping and their baseball gear, and you can put this tag on it at First Church OK or hashtag First Church Live. Put that stuff on there, and everybody who posts a picture of their family worshiping today will get one of these First Church Live t-shirts. We're excited to be able to pass those out. But I'm also wearing this shirt for another reason. We've been in this series, Curveball, and as we've been talking about different baseball themes, um, we've also been saying there's a lot of people who are watching this, these, this series, these services, all over the country. For that matter, all over the globe. And we've been talking about how people in Michigan and Tennessee and Florida and even other countries like Mexico are worshiping with us. And there's a family from Kentucky who I know who've been worshiping with us every single week for the past eight weeks. It's the Kenny family, and so they've been filling out connection cards online, and they've been chatting with me, and so I decided to send them some First Church Love Jesus, Love Light Jesus t-shirts, and in honor of our Curveball series, they made this video for you guys. Take a look at this. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I ever get back for its root. Root, root for the Wildcats. If they don't win, it's a shame. For it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. I don't know about you, but I just think that's awesome. We've got people all over in so many different states worshiping with us, and that's cool. But here in Northeast Oklahoma, when I do wear my Kentucky stuff, sometimes I do feel a little out of place. Before all this COVID-19 stuff happened, I was in a store uh, here in Owasso, and as I was checking out, the guy checking me out, the cashier, looked at my Kentucky shirt that I had on, and he said, are you from Kentucky, or did you just lose a bet? I was like, well, thanks. I appreciate that a whole lot. And some of you guys have even given me a hard time. I remember my first March here. It's March Madness. I was all excited to see Kentucky play basketball in the tournament. And if you've ever noticed my car, you know on the back of my car, I have this license plate frame that says Kentucky Wildcats. I blurred out all the information so you can't track me or anything. But still, Kentucky Wildcats, I have that frame. And somebody, I still don't know exactly who did it, but somebody found a license plate frame that looks a lot like that one, but says 
Kansas Jayhawks. Now, if you know me, as much as I love the Kentucky Wildcats, I can't stand the Jayhawks. And so I drove around for days with this license plate frame and didn't even realize, didn't notice it until my wife noticed it. I pulled in our driveway and she was like, do you know you've got a Kansas license plate on the back of your car? It's like, what? So yeah, that wasn't cool. And I will get that person back once I figure out who it was. But also this past fall, I had for just a couple Wednesday nights, one of our student ministry small groups is an all-girls small group led by Steph Thomas. And I'm going to call her out, by the way. She uh, asked if she could meet in my office because we didn't have a space for her small group to meet. And out of the kindness of my heart, I let her group meet in my office. And I've got a few UK items in my office. And when I came back the next morning, this is what I saw. On my UK items, there are post-it notes all over my office that said stuff like Boomer Sooner and Go OSU. I mean, what in the world? They contaminated my entire office. They polluted it. It was terrible. But I love them anyway because Jesus loves your enemy. So I'm going to keep loving you guys anyway. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to be a UK fan. I've got my UK baseball up here because UK isn't just known for their basketball and football. I cheer for them in all sports. And sometimes it's hard to be a UK fan in the midst of Oklahoma but I can handle that pressure. I can take it. I can take standing out for that reason. But let me ask you, have you ever stood out at some point in life and it's been really awkward? I mean, it's been uncomfortable. It's even been a little risky for you to stand out. I'm sure we've all had those moments. And we're going to look at three guys in the Bible who stood out. They stood out because of their faith and they did so at great risk. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel. That's where we're going to be today. That's where we're going to camp out. And like I said, we've been in this series called Curveball because curveballs aren't just things that happen in baseball. Curveballs also happen in life because we all know that life is full of unexpected twists and turns that catch us off guard. And so we're looking at different people throughout the Bible who were thrown some curveball, experienced some curveball in life, how they responded to it and how God continued to work in their lives. And today, we're going to look at three guys from the Old Testament who were thrown a curveball, and because they were thrown a curveball, they really stood out after the fact. Their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, those are fun names to say, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you have trouble saying those names, well, you can just call them what Veggie's Tales called them, Rackshack and Benny. When they made their cartoon about this story, they just called them Rackshack and Benny. So if you have trouble saying their actual names, just call them Rackshack and Benny. I'm sure they don't care whatsoever. But their story is found in the first few chapters of the book of Daniel, and that's where we're going to be today. And as you turn there, let me give you a little bit of context. In the year 605 B.C., King Nebuchadnezzar was ruling the world. That's, this is his name, King Nebuchadnezzar. It was pointed out to me, by the way, this week that the name Chad is in Nebuchadnezzar. I had never realized that. I hope that doesn't, that's not a sign of anything. But still, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's ruling the world because he is the king. He is the emperor of Babylon. And Babylon is the most powerful nation on earth. They are overtaking the known world. And in 605, he overwhelms the city of Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was the capital city of the Jews, God's people. And this is what Nebuchadnezzar would do. He would go into an area, and after he conquered it, after he overwhelmed it, he would then have his officials go seek out the best and the brightest young men who lived there, the most skilled, the most talented guys, and then he would take the best and the brightest back with him to Babylon, his capital, and then he would retrain them. He would want to 
to use them in his kingdom, in his government. So he would put these young men through the king's academy, his leadership academy, and he would give them a new Babylonian identity. He would teach them a new language. They would learn about Babylonian foods. They would learn a whole new culture. But not only that, they were introduced to a whole bunch of new lower G gods, false gods, idols, but they were introduced to these false gods of the Babylonians. Now, that wasn't a big deal for some people because most cultures in this day and age worshipped multiple gods, but that was a big deal if you were a Jew because you only worshipped the one true God. Now, three of the most prominent Jewish young men who were taken captive to Babylon were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what you need to know about them is this. Even though Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken captive physically to Babylon, they refused to let their souls be taken captive. Let me put it this way. They refused to buy in to the culture around them that wanted them to compromise their devotion to God. And because of that, they're a great example for us. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were men of integrity. They were men who, who continued to serve God in a culture that didn't acknowledge the one true God. And they worked hard at their jobs. And because they were men of integrity who worked hard, who showed kindness to everyone, and who loved as God loved them, they were able to move up in the ranks. They were given positions of honor, positions of leadership in Babylon. And as we get to the end of chapter 2 in Daniel, we get this little note. The king, this is King Nebuchadnezzar, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon. The province of Babylon is the main hub of the Babylonian empire. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're administrators over the province. They moved to a really, really high position within the government all because they were men of integrity who worked really, really hard, and King Nebuchadnezzar noticed them. Now, besides the fact that the king liked them, there's something else you need to know about King Nebuchadnezzar. As vast and large as his empire was, the only thing larger than it was this man's ego. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac, and look at what he does in verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high. I mean, that's like nine stories tall, 90 feet high and nine feet wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Hello? There we go. I'm back. Okay. Hey, we're live, guys. That's what happens when you're live, right? Okay. So here's what's going on as King Nebuchadnezzar basically builds this 90 feet tall statue. He wants to create a national God that everyone can worship. He wants to consolidate power. And the way that he wants to consolidate power is by ordering, commanding, decreeing that everyone in Babylon bow down to worship this idol. So this is what the king says. He says, whenever I get my royal band to play, whenever I get my royal band to strike up the music, I want everybody to bow down, stop whatever they're doing, and worship this idol that I've created, that I've made, this God that I've made. And so you know what? Everybody did. Whenever the 
music would start, everyone would fall down and worship. You know why? Listen to what King Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So bow down and worship this God that I made or you die. So most people living in Babylon did exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar said. The music would start. Didn't matter what they were doing, if they were with their families, they were working, if they were just having fun, playing around, whatever they were doing, didn't matter. They stopped it in that moment, and they ate pavement. They bowed down, and they worshiped this false god. And this really wasn't that big of a deal to most of the people living in Babylon because the Babylonians had tons of gods. What's one more to add to their list of gods? But it was a big deal for faithful Jews like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they worshiped the one true God, the God who they believed created everything, the God who spoke everything into existence, the God who was the God of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This was the God who had always been with his people. This was the God who had delivered his people time and time again. This was the God who parted the Red Sea. This was the God who knocked down the walls of Jericho. This was the God who made the sun stand still. This is the God who defeats giants, who overwhelms enemies, the enemies of God's people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they worship the one true living God, the great I am. And nothing was going to come between them and him. Nothing was worth giving up their relationship that they had with him. Now, if you're listening to this message from your living room or wherever you are right now, you might be thinking, yeah, but how does that apply to me? We're not tempted to bow down and worship statues, to worship false gods, idols. Well, maybe we're not tempted to bow down and worship statues, but idols are still very real. There are still a lot of false gods out there competing for our worship because in all reality, an idol is anything that tries to compete with our daily devotion and allegiance to God. An idol is anything that tries to compete with our daily devotion and allegiance to God. So what is it for you? What is it that is competing for your worship? What is it that's trying to pull you away from God right now? What is it that is trying to hinder you from doing what God wants you to do? What is it that's trying to hold you back and confine you right now spiritually? Let me put it this way. What's tempting you to compromise your devotion to God? Is it your greed? Is it money, your finances? Is it stuff, possessions? Is it a person? A relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, somebody you're dating? Is it a friendship? Is it some other unhealthy relationship you might have? Is it some addictive behavior? Is it a hobby? Is it your phone, your screen time? What is it that is competing right now for your worship? Because whatever that thing or that person is, that's your false god. That's your idol that is calling for you, that is trying to distract you from the one, the only one who deserves your worship. And there's always an idol out there trying to compete with our devotion to God. 
You see, by the time that Nebuchadnezzar put up this giant statue, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had lived in Babylon for years. They had had time to go through the king's training sessions, and they had had time to have new roles and to rise up in the ranks. They had had time to adapt, to conform to the culture of Babylon, just kind of fade into the background and live like everyone else. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to live like everyone else because they didn't want their lives to turn out like everyone else's lives. They believed that God had a better story to write for their lives than what the Babylonian culture could give them. I once heard this quote, and I absolutely love it. It says, it is no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. I love that quote. It's no measure of health to be well-adjusted to a profoundly sick society. You can fit in with a profoundly sick society, big deal. That's not a sign of health. It's actually the opposite of that. And the Bible teaches this. Look at what the book of Romans says. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not live like everyone else because they didn't want their lives to turn out like everyone else. And can you imagine this scene? The royal band starts to play. And the horizon goes flat. Everyone bows down to worship except three. And you can see their silhouettes. These three men standing up in the midst of everyone else who is caving to the culture. They stand up. They stand up for their God. And in the midst of the darkness, the light within them, God's light, shines bright. And here's something that you need to know. Light never runs from darkness. It invades it. But even though the light always invades the dark, the darkness doesn't accept it. The darkness doesn't like it. The darkness pushes back against it. And that's exactly what happens in our story today. See, some of the other officials in the king's government, they're jealous of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so they go to the king and they say, hey, you know those three guys that are high up in your government, you know, those Jews, they won't bow down to the God that you created. And uh, didn't you issue some decree that said if somebody doesn't bow down to this God, then they're to be put in a fiery furnace or something like that? And there's no exceptions to that rule, right, O king? And when the king finds out that it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he's furious, he's ticked, he's mad that somebody is defying his orders. And listen to what the scripture says. It says, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, I want you to notice what's going on here. Even though Nebuchadnezzar is mad, he's ticked that these guys aren't bowing down to the God he created. (laughs) He wants to give them a second chance here. You know why? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are three of his best guys. He doesn't want to lose them. He really likes these guys a lot. So it's like, even though he's mad, he gives them a second chance. Like, hey, I don't know what you did before. I don't know if this is true or not. I'm not even going to investigate it. If right now you will bow down and worship this God that I've created... I'll give you a second chance. You'll be fine. But then look what else he says. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately, without hesitation, into a blazing furnace. Then, and look at what he says here at the end. Then, what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
What arrogance. <laughs> what pressure. Can you imagine being Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this moment? But I love how they respond. Listen to what they say to the king. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. In other words, we believe he has the power to save us. We believe he can do it. You want to know what God can save us from your hand? Our God can. We believe he has the power to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But look at this next statement. But even if he does not, even if God chooses not to, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. What faith? I mean, I want you to notice two things here. First of all, did you notice how they continue to address the king, old king? By the way, in the original language, that's a sign of respect. It's like saying your majesty. Even though they are defying the king's decree, they're still treating him with respect. I think that's interesting. That shows their integrity. It shows their, it shows their hearts. But then also notice something else. Notice what they say. But... Even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't save us, we believe God has the ability and the power to rescue us, to save us from these flames. But even if he doesn't, we still won't bow down to your God. You know why they said that? Because they knew that God always had their best interest at heart. They knew God had the ability and the power to rescue them. But if he didn't, he saw the bigger picture and they're looking at Nebuchadnezzar and they're saying, listen, you may not know our God, but we do. And he has a plan. And we're willing to submit to that plan. You know why? Because we love him and we know he loves us. And the relationship we have with him is more important than anything, even our very lives. We are not willing to do anything to compromise this relationship that we have with him. Because we don't deserve to know him. We don't deserve to be his children. We don't deserve to be loved by him. Nothing in all of life compares to this relationship that we have with the God who created us. This is what we were meant for. This is what we were created for to live life with him and we will not bow down to your God even if he decides in this moment not to rescue us because even our lives aren't worth more to us than our devotion to the God who loves us see what Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are basically saying is this we not only trust in God's power we trust God's heart God has a plan and he's going to do what's best for us, what's best for his world, what's best according to his ultimate plan. We trust him. God's love is enough for us. And if you wanted to put what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying in an equation, I know a lot of you guys here recently have been homeschool teachers, you parents who aren't used to being homeschool teachers, you've been doing a lot of like math problems and stuff like that. If you want to put it into an equation, this is it. What Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying is everything, everything this world has to offer, if you have everything this world esteems and values, if you have everything this world can give you, but you don't have God, then you end up ultimately with nothing. You can have everything this world promises. You can have everything this world values. But if you don't have God, it's all meaningless. It's all empty. You end up with nothing. 
But the opposite of this is also true. If you have nothing this world values and esteems, nothing this world tells you to seek after and chase after, if you have nothing this world has to offer, but you have God, then you have everything. If you die without anything that this world values, you die without the home and the toys and the cars and all the stuff and money and power and influence and everything that everybody chases after. You die with none of that stuff, but you have God, you have a relationship with him. Then you die with everything. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he doesn't get it. In fact, it makes him even more mad. And so you know what the king does? He tells his servants to heat up the furnace seven times hotter. He orders his servants to bind up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego so they, they can't move around once they're thrown into the flames. And the furnace is so hot that some of the king's servants are burned up, and they don't even touch the flames. They just get close to it, and it's so hot that they burn. And you know, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the furnace, I'm reminded of a quote that I heard years ago. It's this, sometimes God delivers us from fire, and sometimes God delivers us through fire, but sometimes God delivers us by fire straight into his arms. And what do I mean by this? Sometimes God delivers us from the fire, meaning we never have to experience it. We pray, and God takes the fire away. There's nothing wrong with praying that prayer. I think that's probably the first prayer that we normally face when we're facing fire, right? Nothing wrong with that. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes God delivers us through fire, meaning he lets us go through it for a purpose. He wants to refine us like gold so that we come out stronger on the other side. And let me tell you something. When God lets you go through fire, it'll burn the fake right off of you. <laughs> You, you find out whether or not your faith is genuine and pure. But sometimes, God delivers us by fire straight into his arms. Meaning sometimes, the fire is the last thing we experience. We never actually find our way out of it on this side of heaven, but the fire takes us straight into his arms. And every time I think about that, I think about a guy that I knew from the last church I served. He was a leader in our church. He was a godly man who definitely loved Jesus and served Jesus with all of his heart, but he was diagnosed with a terminal disease. He was diagnosed with a cancer that was fastly overtaking his body. And he got bad news after bad news after bad news, and he went through chemo, and that didn't help. The cancer was eating him alive. The chemo was making him even more weak. And within a matter of months, they were only giving him a few days. I remember Alice and I went to see him in the hospital. And there he was in the hospital, as weak as I'd ever seen him. He was always a strong man. He was a farmer. He was as weak as I'd ever seen him. Eyes were bloodshot. There was just pain on his face. He was there with his wife. And we walked in. And we hugged him. And we cried with him. And we talked to him. But Allison and I had just found out that we were pregnant. And no one knew it with our first child with Alex. No one knew it. We hadn't told anybody yet. But we were close to this couple we thought he only has a few days left. We want to tell him that. So there he is in his hospital bed, and I leaned over, and I said, we got something else to tell you. Allison's pregnant. And immediately, his pain-stricken face, it just lit up. And he looked at me with his bloodshot eyes. And he said, is it a boy or a girl? And we're like, we don't know yet. We just found out. We don't have a clue yet. But he was so excited. And then he said, 
I just hate that I won't be able to meet he or she on this side of heaven. And I'm always, I always feel a little awkward in those situations. I'm a preacher, so you think I'd be used to it, and I'm not. I always feel awkward in those situations. And so I really didn't know what to say. And I was like, oh, don't say that. Don't talk like that. Don't say that. And he looked at me as if to correct me. And he said, Chad, I'm about to win. Because I'm about to be with Jesus. Sometimes God rescues us by fire and brings us straight into his arms. I bet Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thought it was either going to be option one or option three. We're either going to have this fire taken away from us or we're going to die and go and be with God. That's what they were thinking. They probably never dreamed it was going to be option two to go through the fire. But that's what happens. They're thrown into the fire all bound up, not able to move. And once they're thrown into the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar goes to check on them. And when he goes to check on them, this is what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, were there three men that were tied up and we threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men in this furnace walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps and prefects and governors and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies nor was a hair of their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. That's the most amazing thing to me. I can't even go to a cracker barrel during the winter time and have dinner without smelling like smoke. You know what I'm saying? They didn't even smell like fire. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Now, a lot of scholars debate, biblical scholars debate, who is this fourth person in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Some scholars say, well, maybe it was an angel, just one of God's angels that he sent to be with them. Maybe it was Jesus. Some scholars believe that it was Jesus before he, you know, became a man incarnate, that it was Jesus in some form with them. Some people think that it's some other manifestation of God. But we get the impression that this was a divine being with them, whatever form it took. And honestly, I don't think it matters. The point is still the same. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not alone in the fire. The presence of God was with them. Yes, they may have had to go through the fire, but they were never alone. And I want to let you know today, you're not alone. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what fire you might be facing or experiencing right now, you're not alone. God is with you. And right now, no matter where you're watching from and worshiping from, whether it's your living room or on your back porch or your home office, whether you're in a hospital room or nursing home room, whether it's on your iPad or your laptop or your phone or whatever else, no matter where you are right now, you are not alone. God is with you. 
And he wants to let you know that the fire will not have the last word over your life. See, what ends up happening is Nebuchadnezzar's entire tone changes. His heart is changed, and he issues this decree that says, all of Babylon will now honor the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know what ends up happening? The fire that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego experienced ended up being a light for the entire nation. And I believe the same can be true for us. God can use the fire you're going through to be a light that points others to him. You may not see it right now, but whatever fire you're getting ready to face or maybe you're going through right now, God can use it as a light that points others to him. And honestly, haven't we seen that happen over the past few weeks? This COVID-19 crisis, horrible situation, horrible circumstance, and yet the church is shining bright. God can use whatever fire you're facing to be a light to others, to point them to him. And I just want to let you know, before we leave this time of study here today, you're never alone. You're never alone in the fire. God is with you. And sometimes the way that God reminds us that he's with us is by putting other godly people alongside us to help us along the way. And so today, as we end our time of worship and service today, we want to end with a response time. To where right now, if you're facing a fire, or maybe you're already going through one, we want to let you know you're not alone. Our church wants to walk beside you and help you see the one who's with us and who ultimately has power over any fire that we face. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to end with a song. Tim and his team, they're going to come back out. They're going to lead us in a song that goes along with this sermon that I just preached about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as we sing this song, as we worship together, if you need anything, if you need prayer, if you just need somebody to talk to, if you want to find out what it means to follow Jesus, be baptized into him, if you need anything today at all, our church is here for you. And by texting NEXT to this number, 918-300-3977, by texting NEXT to that number, you can put in whatever it is that you need, somebody to talk to, somebody to pray with you. If you need advice or wisdom, whatever, our church is here for you, and we want to walk through the fire with you And we want to let you know that God is with all of us. Maybe you can go on to our online hub. If you're watching from our First Church Live page, you can go to our online hub and you can direct message a staff member there and let them know your needs. But whatever it is, during this time of worship, let's seek the one who has power over the fire we may be facing or going through right now. Because no matter what, you are never alone. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for today and this opportunity we had to worship with you. And we're going to continue this worship right now in this moment. Father, during this time where we sing to you and we remember that we are never alone in the fire, that there's always another with us and that one who's with us is you. Father, if there are any needs out there throughout northeast Oklahoma or beyond, wherever people are worshiping from today, Father, may they text that number. Father, may they get on our online hub. May they reach out to our church so that we can walk with them and point them to you. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.